We should be looking forward to another intriguing weekend in the Six Nations, but instead the politics and the backroom dealing in the boardrooms of professional rugby have dominated the headlines once again. As the RFU and the Premiership clubs look to cast the championship adrift, we ask what next for the game's grassroots. And we will, of course, preview some fairly big clashes in the Six Nations, including Ireland's trip to Twickenham and the wooden spoon decider between Scotland and Italy. I'm Lawrence Delalio, and with me are Owen Slott and Stephen Jones. Gentlemen, uh, good day to you both. Owen, I'm going to start with you because um, a week off last week. Well, um, easy. It wasn't a week off, just a few days. Well, Sorry. a few days. No I one mean, noticed. I mean, you got on an aeroplane and you flew somewhere and... And I mean, it, you probably thought that this was this this sort of downtime just between the Six Nations would be a good time to to go away. But um, well, part of the reason I went it was I was so excited that Jonesy was going to be back on the pod this week in in the studio that I sort of yes, welcome back, I needed Jonesy. to thank to, you very to, much to, to refresh myself. Jonesy was excited. I was excited for Jonesy uh, always. So I shouldn't. Can't really go on about that too much, can I? No. So, yeah, so, Lawrence, I went on Monday evening, and by Tuesday, Dai Young had been unseated at Wasps, Alliance had pulled out at Saracens, and the championship had been knifed by the RFU. Uh, I mean, just a, a nice, quiet in, day in, in rugby in, politics. In 24 hours. I mean, Stephen, uh, welcome back, very, very, very genuinely. I mean, <clears> have you ever known a rugby season in, in all your experience, all your years of, of covering this wonderful sport? that's sort of panning out quite like this one because it's it's just simply extraordinary from the, from the minute the World Cup kicked off to you know to, to where we are today and, and where we're going to be by the end of the season I, I mean it's it's biblical isn't it it is you, you know you're almost scared to turn on the radio in the morning or look at the paper to, to see what other disaster or sensation has helped they say all oh, no publicity is bad publicity but obviously that's not right because mm. when people are seeing the game for instance the game strangled at the grassroots by by the by big brother mm. that that's not good as you said once i mean the david young story is a big story mm. but actually in the general scheme of everything else you've almost got c- consumed in everything else it you just, know it, it, it's something every day it was a bottom of the page to die mm. young i mean this is a guy been at wasps for yeah. nine years yeah. and, and mm. a good guy and who actually yeah. saved the club when, when they so needed we'll, chats, we'll, we'll get on to uh, we'll get on to wasps and, and and die young um in a minute because you know there may be one or two of us that know a little bit about that let's go to the to the big story and i say the big story and i mean they're all big stories but the rfu slash the funding for the championship there's always two sides to this and we're going to try and be as we always are, fairly balanced on, on this particular pod. Oh, but, I don't want to be balanced, do we? Well, can we well, just not get stuck into everyone that we dislike? Well, we can do that, <laughs> and uh, we've done. But what, I mean, OK, let me just start with this. Jonesy, let's start with you. What does this decision to cut the funding in half mean for the championship clubs? I mean, what does it, what, what does it mean for rugby? What does it, you know, what, what does it mean for the championship? What, what if you cut anybody's funding in half, Lawrence? If you're a grocer's shop, if, you, if you're Sainsbury's, if you're, if you're News International, cut anyone's funding in half, then they're going to struggle horribly. It, it, it's a bitter blow. Their funding now per year, as far as I can see, will buy them one player, will buy them, and not even an international player. That's all they've got left. Mm. What, so what it means is, A, the, the, the horrendous savagery of the RFU and, and Premier Rugby, because both of them are cutting what they give to the, to the championship. It means they're ignoring the evidence that the championship is a brilliant proving ground. I don't know if anyone follows Twitter, but Moritz both her on uh, on last week said look they're saying that the championship is 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 useless to the premiership will all those who played championship rugby please tweet over 100 did including two members of the current england squad it's it's more than uh, myopic and and, and near-sighted it's disgraceful i mean the interesting thing 
from my point of view, the RFU came out, Bill Sweeney, the CEO, Conor O'Shea, both very new in the role. So the, the, the emotions probably from the championship are even rawer because the fact that the, this news has been delivered by a couple of individuals who have you know, only been in the hot seat a little while. The RFU were very clear with their statement saying that, the, that there was a number of uh, preconditions put in place to meet that funding. You know, such, you know, such things as having the ambition of being a premiership club. There was five, four or five and none of those had been met or not sufficiently the targets, the KPIs, if you like. Um, but when I look at the championship, there's probably only three or four clubs that have got the ambition or even the ability at this moment in time to get into the Premiership, to the promised land. The likes of, you know, of Ealing Trail Finders, the likes of Nottingham Cornish Pirates who are building a new stadium down there. So, uh, you know, I'm not sure that that relationship between the RFU and the Championship is necessary, whether they've actually sat down and been realistic about those ambitions. And, Owen, you were at Ealing Trail Finders against Bedford on Saturday. So you've got two clubs that are on different sides of, of the championship argument, if you like. So you've got Ealing, which are um, ambitious and want uh, and want to fund a, a promotion bid. And then you've got Bedford, who are hanging on to professional rugby on the back of the funding that they get from the RFU. Mm. So I'm not convinced that RFU giving half a million quid to Bedford every year is, is necessarily a good use of its money. Because people saying, oh, it's going to kill the championship. Well, there's still going to be a championship ne- next season. There's still going to be a place where those players play. But the fact is that the, most of them, the large majority of them, are going to go nowhere near the Premiership. And the RFU is effectively funding an income for a, a bunch of, for, for a, a massive army of players who aren't going to go up. Now, I know that the um, Championship is a good place for young Premiership players to go and play, and I think that should always remain the case. But if you're actually a part time Championship club, that's even better for a Premiership club to, to, to work with. Because you can you can you can be a say a Lewis Liner at, at Harlequins if you like train every day at Harlequins and then just go for go mm. for two three nights at um a Richmond and play it and get your game at the weekend. I totally disagree with that. Bedford are, are one of the great clubs. If ever you go there, even now, the, the the buzz and the fans they have is tremendous. Bedford have got a perfect right to play in the division as a full member with full funding until such time as maybe a sugar daddy or an investor comes along. If they don't, they they're keeping rugby alive in Bedford week in week out they've got a great coach they've got a great setup they, they, they've nurtured so many players they've got a perfect right to have the full grant and this I, is I, the, I, the, I just... the interesting debate which this throws up is is what should the structure of English rugby look like where does the amateur game start and the professional game you know well where does the professional game start and the amateur game finish and I think that's a really interesting debate to have because at the moment it probably finishes halfway up the championship doesn't it you've got some semi-professional clubs in terms of their finance and resources and ability then you've got those that have got a little bit more backing and investment they're fully funded and then you've got the professional game which is funded by a number of individuals the RFU you know all the other um, TV money etc and it's for me it throws the interesting question what is the RFU's role in professional rugby and what is the RFU's role in rugby full stop? And this is something I think that the leadership of the governing body need to come out and, and tell us because what they've done is they've, they've made themselves look like the bad guys here, quite honestly, by just you know knifing the championship in the back. No, no warning about it, just coming in and slashing their funding. What I think it, you know, needs to happen is a wider statement around their role as the governing body. Are they running the professional game? Because it doesn't look like they are to me. And in a couple of years' time, CBC will take that game away from them. Are they running the England team only? Are they running the, 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 the championship? Or are they trying to be the guardians of the entire game? And, and 
you know, I do sympathise a tiny bit with the RFU uh, because I do feel that they can't do everything. Can't run the professional end of the game and the amateur end of the game and possibly make their budgets stick together. Lawrence, so, what they need, what they, what they need in, the, on, in this case is, is a vision and that's what they haven't provided. They haven't provided a vision. They've just said, we think we can save three million quid here. Sorry, Championship Clubs. I mean, Jones, we, we, so, we sort of disagree but I, I can see both, both sides of this completely um, and I don't really know what's right but th- there's no vision. They just, they just cut some costs here. I mean, what they, need, what they haven't addressed is how do... Cornish pirates get get promoted because that's almost impossible now. They've all, they they're, they're legislating against it. They're allowing that to happen. So why wouldn't you want a professional franchise or club in in Cornwall where you can develop more players? Well, of, of course you would, but they're making it impossible. So 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 where's where's the thinking on that? The the part of the problem is top three divisions of English rugby are, are run by three different entities. You got the Premier League, PRL who runs the Premiership, you've got RFU who runs uh, the Championship, and then the NCA, the National Clubs Association, run National One. They don't even talk to each other. No, they don't. Richmond are in National One. London Scottish are in the Championship. They share a ground. The two entities have not even worked out how they can play on different weekends. Seven weekends of this season, they've been put on the same ground on the same day. Lawrence, your your point is is a spectacularly good one. It's it's the nail on the head. There are two games. And when you say, where does the pro game start, where does it end? You you were quoted as saying there should be two pro divisions, which there should. If you started again, if you demolished the RFU and started again, you'd have a a professional company running the the Premiership, Premiership 2, and probably National 1, and the rest, all the the glorious game out there, run by the RFU. Well, also, if you're a professional club, you've got 46 players on your playing roster at any one time you know at least double figures are injured you know your chances of putting out a second team a league fixture are non-existent you know I was lucky enough not to have to play in too many of those games but when I did you look around the you know the, the, the team and you're thinking wow you know we had to bring in a load of ringers from from various different clubs just to just to put out a second team side now I think the premiership clubs have got to ask themselves a the question what is the point of that a league you know is it genuinely you know developing players I don't think it is in any way whatsoever so should they not partner with a club in the championship, which was what Nigel Melville was trying to promote? Because bless you know, him. Well, in, in my, you know, oh, seriously, Nigel Melville it, it achieved a, pretty a, much next to nothing in his time at the RFU. But that was a great plan. What was a good plan? And yeah. and, and the clubs rejected it. I, the structure of professional rugby needs to include the, the twelve teams in the Premiership, and I think it does need another professional league. You know, in the league below, and you know, everyone talks about ring fencing. I wouldn't ring fence the Premiership, but you do need at some point to ring fence the professional game and yes. say right. This is the end of professional rugby. Anyone below that, you know, you shouldn't be paying your players. Just ha- enjoy the game as as it as it has always been, and then you'll create a structure whereby you can you can feed in. And, well, uh, here's another way of looking at: it. Do, do we really need a, a division two of professional rugby? I mean, in Ireland, they've only got four professional clubs or provinces. Uh, Scotland have got two. Wales have got four. Or keep on trying to kill one off, don't they? So, there's so, more, there's, so a lot more players, the premise... there's a lot more players registered to play rugby in this country. I'm not suggesting that's a good or bad thing, but it, it's just a fact. So the number of players registered, the number of clubs registered in rugby is greater. So therefore, you know, to say that we, we should only have one professional league because Ireland only have one or vice versa... But should we be paying, is, paying the second... The right should we be paying for the second division 
if market forces don't uh, don't bring well, in. Well, their... they are currently paying for because they're holding on to players that, that are getting very little games in the Premiership. So you know, I, I genuinely think. Well, that, that... I mean, that, that's the point that I completely agree with. It. it it is a great it's a great training ground for those young uh, coming through potential stars to to shine. I mean, that was um, Nigel Melville's catchline when he said that uh, every Premiership club should buddy up with Championship club. He said, "You go and see the Championship, and you, it says." Come and see the stars of the but future. Also, but also, it's not just about playing. Surely, when you were talking about a vision, you know, if, you, if you're in charge of the RFU, you're thinking, well, where's the next, where's the next uh, conveyor belt of England coaches coming from? You know, should we be not be placing people strategically in the championship? Mm. You know, if we're funding, then we should have a say on on how on, on how it's run. You know, and, and referees, as well, and referees, and, and referees. So we can produce referees. If you're a coach going into the game, don't get don't get thrown in at the deep end in the professional game. Actually, go and coach some people week in, week out in the in the championship. And I just think, as you say, there's a lack of vision. I understand that if you provide money, there needs to be a return on investment. But but there needs to be collaboration. Sit down with with the championship club. Sit down with the governing body and say, right, how can we make this work? There are a huge mass of players out there. Whether we should have done this or not, we've we've made a lot of professional players. Masses of them. Some of them hardly ever play now. Premiership rugby spokesman told me on Friday, I said, where are these players going to go then? He said, oh, we're going to boost up the Premiership Cup and the A-League. Oh, so that's, that's where they're going to go. Now, the A-League, those are the two non-competitions. <clears throat> and thirdly, just one more point. You're talking about KPIs. Twickenham, I, I, I insisted they tell me what the KPIs were. In the end, they admitted there weren't any. They'd given five general areas that they wanted the Premiership Clubs to be better at. They never wrote them down and they were not what we call KPIs and that is the basis the woolly basis on which they've been they've been trimmed listen when when the championship clubs went in and were presented with this KPI uh, nonsense about you haven't met this KPI you haven't met that 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 was just a pre- presentation from a from a sort of a lesson one of management consultancy this is this is what you haven't met if if the RFU had decided they wanted to support the championship, they could have rewritten that that um, presentation and produced a different set of KPIs and said, tick, 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 you're great, carry on. They just found a way to, uh, to knife yeah, but them. But it goes back to, to, a, to a bigger, wider issue. Who is running the professional game? Hmm. Is it the RFU? Is it PRL? Is it CVC? Who is running? And when I say the professional game, you know, the championship is a part of the professional game, as far as I see, because there's a number of clubs there that, you know, that, that pay their players. And, but it and, goes beyond what, the championship. And what the RFU is saying is that, you know, we're not running it because we're not prepared to fund it. And therefore, they're not going to get anything out of it. So, I mean, I just think the whole thing is, is been ill thought out and will ultimately need reviewing yet again. Well, as you have seen from the Times today, there's a legal challenge already from Doncaster Knights. So the the, the um, Steve Lloyd, the president of Doncaster Knights, has uh, been consulting lawyers. They say that the um, PRL uh, is uh, running like a cartel and anti-competitive, and he reckons he's got a proper legal case against them. Uh, and and he'll be saying to the RFU, "Listen, give us a moratorium. Let's just calm down a bit, sit and have a chat about exactly what is the vision." Give us a year, and then we'll just put this legal case on hold for a while while we while we do the grown-up thing and work out how it's rugby could go forward. The, the slot family holiday is going on hold because you're not allowed to go away if there's going to be all this breaking news, uh, you know, in the next few days, weeks ahead for sure, Slotty. Well, you know, sometimes on the on the mountains of the Alps, they need to see some quality as well. You know, <laughs> it's not not just in the newspapers. Right, we're going to leave the uh, the championship debate there. It's uh, it's bound to have uh, you know it's bound to rumble on and on and on. But uh, what we have got coming up on the horizon is 
the next round of uh, Six Nations matches, and I guess we've got to start with uh, with England against Ireland. Interesting, isn't it? This one. It's the first game that England play at Twickenham. Ireland are, are unbeaten. Um, you know, there's lots of talking points. I guess Farrell against Farrell. Ireland have yet to hit top gear. They've been thumped by England on a couple of occasions since they last met at Twickenham. I mean, is Eddie Jones sort of feeling the pressure? Is he likely to, to revamp his squad a little bit? Is he likely to inject anything new into, into his squad, Jonesy? In your I opinion? think he... Well, if he's not feeling the pressure, I think he should be because uh, there's still a lot of controversy about the squad and about the way they play. There's still a lot of hor- horrible off-the-field stuff that's going on that I think people are now finally saying, for God's sake, shut up before before the matches, Eddie. Um, I, I, but, I mean, I, I still think it's it's tinkering. Who was the England football coach they called Tinkerman? Was it uh, Sven? Ranieri. I think, He's your old mate, Lawrence, yeah, isn't he? Well, well, he, t- he tinkered at Chelsea and then went and won the, t- the title for, uh, for Leicester. For Leicester, but, yeah. Uh, I mean, if one person's tinkering is another person's horses for courses, I suppose. But England still, even in that, uh, with the excuse of that horrible hurricane up in Scotland last week, still didn't look anything as coherent as they should. And I think, actually, I think they're favourites on Saturday, but I think Ireland have got a great chance. Owen, England, yeah. Ireland are coming back a bit. Owen, you went out to, first of all, to Portugal and then you, you spent a little bit of time with um, with the England team down in, in the, is it the Kensington Gardens Hotel or whatever it is? But uh, Ireland have, have come off the back of a couple of beatings from England, once in the World Cup warm-up match and then previously at Lansdowne Road, at, at, sorry, the Aviva Stadium. I mean, is there a danger? I mean, they're going to be smarting, aren't they? They're going to be out for revenge. Yes, they know Twickenham is a hard place to come and this is England's first home game, but... Surely they'll be, um, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll fancy their chances and, and they'll have that kind of extra motivation. I don't know if it's if it if it's a revenge theme type game. I think they'll just be motivated anyway because they're feeling confident again. I mean that 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 would appear clear. I think from what's happened, there's a, a new wind has blown through the, mm. the the squad. There, they they seem to feel more relaxed and happy with uh, Andy Farrell in charge, which is bloody easy when you've had two home games and one and both. And and you know the, the, there's been no proverbial hitting the fan yet. But uh, I mean, okay, I think they're in a good place. Okay, so I take your point. I mean, Jones, if we look at it a different way, neither side have yet to hit top gear. Ireland haven't played their best but yet Mm. remain unbeaten England you know compared to what we saw in Japan nowhere near their best and you'd like to think that at some point they're hit top gear exactly one of those teams Lawrence has got a great chance to come through and put down a marker for the rest of the season and maybe even become championship favourites because whoever it is they've got it in them to put up a really definitive performance but they've also got it in to be really disappointing I think that actually deep down Ireland are probably the better and more organised side and my god I don't know if, about you Lawrence but I was taken aback by the bile that was directed at Joe Schmidt when he left because yeah. no one no oh, one was, saw that yeah, it was well, incredible was, good but, point but having said that god, they I mean, went from didn't they but Farrell's in there now he's obviously a great motivator etc he will look back to last year I think and say god we were awful last year this, we've got to get revenge for that and, and I think it's a great chance for for both teams. I think the winner will become favourite for the title. I think the other the other thing everyone talks about, you know, or not everyone, but there's there's rumblings that, they, that the Ireland players are suddenly having a bit more fun, you know, mm. and and the shackles are off. Well, having more fun doesn't always equate to uh, you know to better results. I, I would argue that better results equate to having more fun. Really, I mean that's the way I look at it. So yeah. it's going to be fascinating to see because the pressure is on. Where do you think, if any? any area particularly that Eddie Jones will either be forced to make changes or will feel he needs to make some changes to what anything that we've seen either in Paris or, or, or in Scotland? 
Well, I'd like to put put this forward as my idea, but Barnsley actually put it in the Times this morning. Ireland have always had a good kicking game, and because of the uh, history of Irish sports, they've been very good at uh, winning the high ball. They will be looking at Elliot Daly on the left wing, and they'll be rubbing their hands with glee. As Stuart Barnes said in the Times, Sexton and Murray will put up the high ball on uh, Daly on that wing. Andrew Conway's the um, it, it will be against him. He's an absolute master of that art, and they'll be rubbing their hands together for that. So should there be a change there? I think, uh, Lawrence, I think we were talking about great play here, but Tom Curry, I think that they, they've got to try and find a number eight and put Tom back yeah. to where he belongs. And he's doing the best job he can, but also eight, nine worries me because Eddie's never cast the net wide for a, for a nine, for the next nine. He's never brought him in. I mean, we, we went to Willie Hines, who did valiantly in the World Cup, but I don't think he's actually an international player. Ben Young's has struggled a bit as well. Uh, and then, but these are the only two that are in the squad. He's got to find two more nines to I come into the squad. I agree Steve. But, and I mean, eight as well. He's, he's nowhere near it. I mean, he hasn't got another nine in the squad. You know, you could argue Andy Farrell has recognised the need to, to take something out of CJ Stander's game, get him out the number eight position. Yeah. And since yeah. he's put him into the sixth berth, he's actually been man well, of the match once. That's a good point. And, he, he's, done the opposite, to, he's done the opposite to, to Eddie, hasn't twice. he? Yeah, so I think he's realised that, you know, he's not, maybe he's not the dynamic number eight that you want off the base of the scrum. But actually, you know, since he's been moved to six, his game has gone up immeasurably. So I, I'm, I'm like you. I'm, I mean, I never really understood the Curry selection. I don't think learning on the hoof is what the player or the coach or England fans need, actually. He's going to be a great number eight. Well, let him learn that in playing for sale or let him learn that playing somewhere else. Don't I think we, what you've got you here is... learning what, that in an England show. What you've got here is, is what we all, I think, seem to agree should happen and what is going to happen. Oh. But I, I think we all agree that Curry shouldn't be eight. And I think we well, all probably... Agree Listen, that know, there should be a different I know number nine. Pushing Alex Dombrand, but I, I actually agree with. I mean, I think he is a little still got a few more things to to, to add to his game. The, the player they should be picking is Sam Simmons, week in week out, delivering unbelievable quality and work rate. And if he, you know, if we were, if he was, if this was the Crusaders or the Auckland Blues. You know, be celebrating his fifteenth, twentieth cap by now. I know, but the point is, Lawrence. What, what, whatever you think, whatever we think, Jones isn't isn't switching, is he? No. He's sticking with Curry at eight, and he's sticking with either um, Ben Youngs or Willie Hines at nine, and that that is not changing. Like England, Wales want to win. Confirm that they're still kind of title contenders. It's the first trip on the road for France uh, following two home wins. And it'll be interesting to see how they adapt. And obviously, we can't not discuss Sean Edwards' return to the Principality. I'm sure he'll get um, a rousing ovation for everything he's done. Uh, and how much I wonder of his inside knowledge will affect the outcome of the game. So, lots of talking points. I mean, wh- I mean what do you make of, of France? I mean, was there enough in the first game to suggest that they, um, other than Alex Dupont, who's just been mesmeric, um, that they've got you know what it takes to, to go on and win this title and win this Grand Slam? I, th- I think France are like every... Pretty much every team in this championship is we don't really know how good they are. That's why I think this championship is so is so intriguing. Is every team has shown that they're, that they're half decent and, and can be half average as well. Mm. Uh, this game this weekend coming up, there's there's three really good games and you can't tell who's going to win each of them. I mean, yeah, actually you can't. There's an argument each way for all of them. Is has the has the new French Revolution really um, changed things or did they just have a really exciting first day out against England and are going to go back to where they were before because they're se- second time out they weren't so hot Wales likewise have shown glimpses of exciting stuff apparently Alan Wynne-Jones can offload from any position in the pitch but they haven't put together a proper performance yet so uh, I don't know I just think it's fascinating I, I, I think I think the one thing that does stick out with France is that when their starting team is very exciting mm-hmm. I think their fitness levels drop off in the, mm-hmm. in the second half as they have done in both games yeah. and I'm not sure their bench 
has quite got the same impact uh, as it needs to have in, in against a, a really quality opponent. So I think they're, they're but you know that you could argue that they're learning about themselves as a group. That there was always going to be, you know, you throw the balls up in the air and you, you know, the average age is twenty three and your oldest player in the squad's thirty. You're going to learn a lot about your team. Hopefully, they're going to be incredibly exciting because we, we all, we surely we all, we all want them to be good. We all want them to be better than they've been for the last oh, four years. We can four, agree on that years. as well. Yeah, but once uh, they become good, agreement we, we everywhere. Once, we, once they come good, we want to be rubbish again. <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah. Um, the, the, we'll build we'll, them up and then we'll knock them down. Yeah. That's what you're supposed to do in exactly. the media. Exactly. Wales, very disappointing in Ireland. I thought the way they conceded up front and the, they conceded the tackle area and all that was very unlike them. I think they'll come up fighting. I think they have a kick in the backside from their coaches. Yeah. I think Alan Wynne-Jones and, and Talapi Falato have needed the games. They've not played hardly, played hardly any rugby. I think they'll both be back. Um, d- d- they cruelly, cruelly missing Jonathan Davis in midfield. Oh, yeah. Defence, yeah. no, no question. If Dan Bigger is fit, which I hope he is, because uh, I just think he's a warrior, I'd also put Gareth Davis at scrum half with him, who's also a warrior, and take them on in a, in, in a physical battle. I think they've got a chance. Liam Williams is fit to play. or Is he match fit? Obviously not. But he's almost fit to come back. So I think they've got a good side in the making there. I think they've got to win on Saturday. They have to win on Saturday, otherwise the season is a disaster. If they win, they can kick on. And, and I think the... Uh... The, the Welsh fans will be a, a factor as well because yeah. you know yeah they played Italy in the first game then they had to go on the road to Ireland and this is the first I mean this is a tasty opposition now isn't it you know yeah. Wales France proper Test match not that I'm belittling Italy but I sort of am really because it was a it was a it, you know it was so one sided it was a, it's just a non contest so I think do you think Lawrence that the, the um, pressure here is a is a factor so France have won two everyone's everyone likes them again new regime etc uh, they're all young the expectation isn't on them Wales have got a new regime haven't convinced really need to get a win is, fr- France have almost got a free hit here and Wales have got to got to get a victory yeah I think they have in the sense that you know but there's something a bit more steely about the French and I, and I, and I might be completely wrong and they might capitulate but I've seen Toulouse, and, and let's be honest, the spine of this French re- renaissance, if you like, is, is Toulouse. Toulouse. You know, mm. Entomac and Dupont and some of these other you know, exciting players. And Toulouse are unbeaten in Europe, and they've gone to Gloucester and won games. <clears throat> they've, got, you know, they've gone all over Europe and, and managed to win in a kind of way, in a, in a sort of slightly un-French way. Um, so I think that there is a bit more about them. I, you know, before away games for France were a bit of a shot to nothing, but I think there's an expectation, and I'm sure Sean Edwards will be delivering this message. You guys are playing for your clubs have been beating these sides regularly. So there's no reason why playing for your country you shouldn't be going in and, and feeling confident you can win this game and, and beat them regularly. And I think it's up to Wales to to change that and challenge that by coming out the blocks fast and and and, and putting a bit of doubt in the French minds because I could tell you who's the more confident side at the moment. It has to be France. What, what, what do you think of the Sean Edwards element in this? Because it, he'll obviously take a French team to Wales and tell the French boys, "Listen, I know how you can how you can win this game." But, but, but I think on, Sean, on the think, other hand, do the I don't Wales agree players, with that. By the way, what? I don't agree with that. I can't remember what you said, but I don't agree with it. <laughs> um, it was bloody smart what I just said. I don't said, agree with it, though. Sean will, will demystify the whole experience for the French. Yeah. He'll say, look, there's be a lot of noise, but don't worry, they're all drunks from Abertillery. Oh, he'll I, I he'll, I he'll, he'll demystify that, the, the whole thing. Oh, sorry, he'll what did he say? It. 
He's been there and done it, and he understands it, and he'll explain it to France, and they won't be as as, as terrified as they usually are. But conversely, will, will Wales not go, oh, we know what Sean's up to, we know what to expect? I mean, does it work the other way as well? It's an intriguing contest, and a bit like the first game, England and Ireland, you'd obviously back the home team in all these games, but it's, uh, it, it's going to be a tough one, that, and uh, we'll wait and see. Let's move on to Italy against Scotland. Both sides have, have lost matches so far. I think we can safely say that the losers of this game are probably destined to finish with the wooden spoon and bottom of the pile. And obviously there's the wider you know, matter of, of the Finn Russell situation, which has been sort of managed in different directions, really. Finn Russell's had his say. The, the Scotland management have tried to take the initiative and, and have their say a little bit. It's been incredible, that, hasn't it? It's sort of divided... I'll tell you who hasn't, tell you hasn't said anything about it. Is, the, is, the, Stuart, is Hogg? Stuart Hogg, yeah. who is the captain of Scotland. You know, I'm not surprised he hasn't said anything, and that's not a criticism because he's got a choice, and he, but he's chosen not to say anything. And, and I just find that fascinating because I think in this world of... of, of, of I'm, I'm just craving leadership all over the place. I'm craving leadership at the RFU. I'm craving leadership everywhere. Oh, that Finn, must he, mean he's on he's cl- Well, side. he's clearly a friend, a friend of Finn Russell's. Yeah. You know, there's no doubt about that. But he's also... Scotland captain and I think you know he's he's neither come down one way or the other and look I, I get that because you know he could argue well it's 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 too big an issue for me to get involved in but the reality is that Finn Russell's not backing the team yet is he so if he felt bit... very strongly against Finn Russell or one way or the other he would have he would have had a word with mm. Gregor Tazis that he, he needs to come back immediately oh, but we're not talking about too much like media people here you say that Stuart Hogg's not said anything but does he actually what does it serve him to come out and make a public pronouncement because he doesn't he doesn't actually have to serve the newspapers and the broadcasters. No, 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 but, no, but that's what I'm saying. What? I'm saying the people he, he needs to talk to, one, Finn Russell, two, Gregor Townsend, and three, his team. Yeah. And we don't know how much of that he's done. So, I yeah, mean, okay. it, that, that unless is, he's a cipher, he's done all of no, that. No, no, that's a, that is a fair point. And he's also, could argue, he's got, you know, he's had, a, he's had other things to think about, including his what? own game, scored a fantastic try for Exeter. Well, the fact that he's cost Scotland two <laughs> victories on, well, in, in successive well, weeks. I don't agree with that necessarily. I think there's a lot of other factors that have cost Scotland. Not did just you him. see him touch down on Friday night? Yeah, he, did, he, yeah. he wasn't yeah, going to let that go. He would have had a load of stick from the Exeter boys and it would have been great. And he's seen the funny side of it. But it strikes me that the Scotland squad behind Gregor Townsend not behind Finn Russell that's all I'll say um, mm-hmm. and, and his silence suggests that he, he is well they've got one chance Scotland I mean Italy got one chance as well Italy have got to win this game otherwise was that 26 on the trot or something yeah, like that 26 Italy have got to win this game or maybe just show us something but if Scotland lose it, it, the biggest casualty possible casualties are Scotland because if Scotland lose then it's disaster and Greg Greg's really under pressure then and Finn Russell is going to have to come back as captain and coach yeah and but, before but, before we before we have the uh, you know the naysayers jumping on I mean Georgia would get thumped by the majority of the teams playing in the Six Nations as well by the way yes. I think Wales would have easily put as, as many as 40 points on Georgia there's every evidence that Scotland would would comfortably beat Georgia as well so uh, and maybe Italy would too. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I was slightly encouraged by the tries that Italy scored. The mm. last try that they scored, was it Minotzi that scored the final mm. try mm. of the game? That would have, wouldn't have looked maybe, out of place in, anyone, in, any, in any side. You, maybe you we watch. could have an invitation team as the, as the sixth nation every year and we could all just agree where we'd rather well, go to. So, well, uh, listen, there's some people trying, one, to, one trying, to, invite, you, trying to invite South Africa in, so let's just forget about that for a second. Because South Africa have got a perfectly good rugby setup going on. They're, they're world champions. What we don't want to do is give them a leg up and make them even better than they already are. Give so, them more money. <laughs> let's give them a seat at the, t- the table in the, in, in the biggest rugby tournament in the world. No.
listen, it's going to be so tense in, in the island of Scotland, Italy. And uh, actually, when you think about it, it's three brilliant games for which, different reasons. Which do you think is the tie of the weekend? Because as you've just said, I think it's an amazing weekend because there's so much on, on each of them. The teams that are unbeaten, which is France and, and Ireland, are both going away. For me, that's where the spotlight is. If they, mm. uh, you know, for different reasons, obviously, than the, the other one. But whoever's still unbeaten by the end is... Uh, is obviously in the box seat without He's saying too obvious. Is the contender? But what a great weekend, though! I would guess that everyone will have been beaten by the end of the weekend. Well, let's hope the weather doesn't beat us all because uh, that we're going to move on to any well, other that's business. Like that's like a segue, isn't it? And Lawrence? the weather has been. You old broadcaster, you. <laughs> the weather has been. Well, it's been biblical. I'll use that word again. I mean, it's. Uh, I, I was in the East Midlands, um, which is a wonderful part of the country, and it brought back a lot of memories for me because Welford Road is a fantastic stadium, even if the team is not quite as uh, as formidable as it once was. Um, neither is the Wasps team either. So I was there, and then I went to Northampton as well. But to see the players playing in a awful appalling conditions was uh, was quite humbling really sort of reminded you of the mindset you had to get into when uh, you've been training all week in glorious sunshine and then you come out on Friday and Saturday and you just re- you don't even recognize the weather it's did you feel Lawrence having seen those two games did you feel that you, it was just an extension of what you've seen in the Calcutta Cup as in players struggling to execute rugby skills and and having to do the best they can or, or did you feel it was a different type of game, those two? No, it was a different type of game. I think this, the conditions in Scotland were at a different level to anything that we've seen for a while. I think in Leicester and Wasps, difficult conditions, but just players who just haven't quite got the confidence to uh, you know, to play in a different way. And I thought Northampton and Bristol was actually quite a, quite, quite an interesting, fun game mm. to, to, to watch, really. But uh, the weather has played its part, Jones. You, you, I saw you've been quite active on Twitter. You and I were down at Lydney Rugby Club, which is... Uh, Wayne Barnes has been a big supporter of that of that rugby club. He's been uh, he's had a couple of fundraisers which we've attended, but they're un- they're currently underwater, and, and the whole rugby club is at the minute. And I'm sure there's one or two probably in Wales that are suffering. There, there are, and literally, I mean, we had a great night there, a, a, a wonderful. I wasn't night. invited and, well, by the can, way. You just in case can, there anyone's wondering, celebs, you, celebs you, only. Can, yeah. you can remember it, Jonesy. I mean, yeah. after all those um, you know snake biting blacks and, and Thank, the, thanks, the shots Wayne you were feeding me, no, I can't no, remember any. Charming. If you're it listening, was, Wayne, thanks for that. To be serious, Lydney only just sort of completed the the work on their clubhouse and now it is literally underwater mm. and it's a desperate th- thing for them i think they're on there's a crown crowdfunding thing for them so if you're in the lydney area or if you've ever played or if you're in the forest mm. uh, they are they're a great club great emotional uh, a great wow. community club but also uh, just looking around this morning as you said Lawrence um, a lot of Welsh communities are underwater which is mm. obviously a bit more important than the rugby but yeah. the following rugby clubs are, are, are all being well, b- buried in water Ponte Dawe Trebanos Cardiff Harlequins Risker at the Stores Field where I played many times when I was in my teens at a great ground right by the River Ebu so there's no no, no surprise there, I suppose. Blackwood, Wattstown, Machen, and Bedwas. Machen and Bedwas, two great. The, the derby between those two was, was made uh, Celtic and Rangers look like a tea party. And those two uh, clubs are underwater. Bedwas is a great club, and so is Machen. And so add those to Lydney. Wales in the West is really in a, a nightmare area. So we just say if you're listening and if you're near one of those clubs or any club, just check they're okay. Check there's anything you can do and join and help because we need to get them back on the road. Well said. Very well, well said. said. We all agree on that, that's for sure. There were some big away wins now in the Premiership for Exeter London Irish who are just going from strength to strength. Uh, Bath picked up a, 
a crucial win with a with a with a late try, and of course Bristol coming from fourteen nil down. I just to... say that's Bath with a half decent number eight who's come back into the game. Is that Mercer? <laughs> yes. No, no. But, yeah, he was, I mean, yeah. he he played half a game for England and then got tossed yeah. out with the rest it's of them. It's amazing actually how many players have sort of come into that squad and sort of you know had a quick look and then gone again. If, uh, if there was a new coach, Zach Mercer would be back in the running. So Bristol also picked up uh, picked up a, a, as I said a, a big win at Franklin's Gardens. I mean, I suppose it's just nothing surprises us in the Premiership. What we do know is that there will be a new champion at the end of the season because Saracens, you know, won't be contesting the top of the table and. Uh, and no one seems to be running away with it, which I guess is um, is probably what happens when you have a salary cap at the top. But it's a really good league. Is that not what we're saying? I mean, yeah, no. I mean, you, I think it's exciting. All, I mean, all those games, you you, you didn't know which way they were going to go. I mean, yeah. I think extra probably the the cl- a class above at the yeah, moment. Yeah. But what what a great league! I mean, it's 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 unpredictable. Yeah, it's a great league. Although, it's kind of like sport, really. Isn't there it? is a, it's. It, it, I still can't get my head round, and I should do because I've been I've been a player for a long, long time, and I've I've been retired for a long time. I still can't get my oh, head. Oh, that round. comeback, Lawrence! Premiership Premiership rugby matches happening during the, during the Six Nations. It just it just feels strange to me because I just find it odd. Just see, just seeing you know teams missing players from 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 either side that, that could equally be playing in them. Both you you go to all to the it. trouble to raise those players or to sign them in, and if you're a f- sponsor or, or 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 a fan, you want to see your players. Yeah. And the number of times players are not available for their clubs is ludicrous. Yeah, absolutely. Ludicrous. But, but okay, but, the, 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 I just the, say, can I just disagree with you both though? Yeah, go I, on. I think the problem with the Premiership is Exeter. I thought were bloody ironclad on 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 Friday. Gloucester gave him a real good go. I thought Exeter, I think they're way out ahead, maybe not in terms of points, but I think there is a massive mid-table which goes from the third to the twelfth club. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? You know, one, one win and, and, the, and the Leicester and Wasps of this world who are seemingly languishing down the bottom are, you know, are up in fourth and fifth. Yeah, uh, yeah. So it's, uh, and, and what feels really weird um, about the season is that that was round 10 of the Premiership and we are, you know, we're now sort of halfway through the Six Nations and yet we've still got another 12 <laughs> rounds of, of Prem rugby to go. But, Lawrence, uh, can I make a sensible point here? What's that? Well, so you say you don't like, uh, you don't like a league weekend in the middle of the Six Nations. doesn't feel right. Completely agree. Uh, Jones, you say the sponsors don't want that. They want their stars. Oh, fans, fans, yeah. fans, yeah. yeah. Well, we all want that. Okay, so we all agree on that. Well, both grounds were packed, by the way, but there's only packed because they're desperate to see some rugby. So, mm. so we all agree it's, it's it's not ideal. The clubs don't like it because it's not so good for sponsorship, etc., etc. So, what they want to do is not have Premiership League weekends overlapping with the Six Nations, which means that we get a longer season, and we now got this season ending in the middle of June. So, you can't have it both ways. I'm not saying there's a solution here. It's a rugby doesn't work situation. I think it's it goes down to who's running the game and who's funding the game. Yes. If I was a broadcaster um, and I work for one, I wouldn't be happy that the that the the, uh, the competition that I pay lots of money for gets second, third fiddle at key times during the season. So, fact, but, but would, would you be, be would you be happy having a, a season that ends mid to late June when everyone's really switched off and gone on to to other sports and and the players are, are, are then sort of forced into playing a, a nine ten month season? Can't have, you can't have both ways. I mean, no. I, listen, I, which, which is why we have a playoff scenario because it's not first past the post. Because if it was first past the post and you lost, you know, six or seven of your players every week, it's it's a bit of a challenge. So, no, I get it, but 
I just thought I'd have a little moan. Let's just talk a little bit about Die Young. Obviously, uh, just to put on the record there, Wasp have, have decided to uh, to relieve him of his responsibilities, but I'm reliably informed that there will be a statement um, of uh, uh, of sorts in the next uh, day or so. Had there been relega- a relegation battle, uh, I'm pretty sure Die Young would still be in the dugout at Wasps, but obviously Wasps, for whatever reason, have decided to expedite that decision, move that forward, um, and look like they're heading in a very different direction. I would like to say on the record that Dai Young, his status with Wasp fans and as a director of rugby, as a head coach of this club, is uh, is as great as any of his predecessors. And he's had nine very good years at the club, didn't manage to win a trophy. His summit was probably the, the final. They were 80 seconds away or 30 seconds away from, from lifting the Premiership trophy. But he saved my club. He saved our club from extinction. And for that, he will be revered by Wasp fans. Yeah, Jones, what do you reckon? Pretty heartless by the Wasp board to do that, to, to cut that, that cut their man? Well, I mean, what, do you, what do you make <laughs> of those people on that board who've made that decision? I don't know. They should stand up for public scrutiny, I think, don't you? <laughs> listen, I, I've been, listen, can we just say that I've been publicly executed several times. Once by an organisation in this building, in fact. But uh, I'm here uh, and they're not any, anymore, so there we go. This building's look, look, done look, look, more than once, isn't I tell it? You, what, what was a, a part of a revolution, and it's been joyous. It's been When you go up there and see the facilities that they got and the crowds they got and the, the new fans they brought into the game, it is absolutely joyous. And if you're a rugby person, you just want that to carry on. And David, uh, I've got massive respect for. He's done wonders there. Uh, probably didn't, shouldn't let Danny go. Maybe, but I think he's a great lad. Uh, I hope he stays somewhere in the in the in the locality. But I can sort of see that they needed to kick on. That decision, Danny Cipriani out and Lima Sopawanga in, yeah. is, I mean, mm. th- it, had, he, had he gone the other way? I mean, it, to what extent did that one uh, also, recruitment he, decision define he's also, the young he, he's years? Also, I, I think it's huge, and I think, you know, as hard a player as he might argue that Danny Cipriani is to manage, you know, he, he would probably, if there's one decision he would change, it would be that one, because that player that he let go... Uh, went on to become the Premiership Player of the Year the following season. So uh, there's no doubt that he's had to manage Wasp movement from London as a club to a you know to a new franchise in the Midlands. And I think you know that for anyone at the top of the tree is a very difficult thing to do. He's had to manage getting the keys to the toy shop, if you like, and having you know the budget to buy all sorts of wonderful players, and then maybe manage a slightly different um, set of circumstances in the last couple of years. So you know he's had a lot to contend with, no doubt about that. And uh, I'm sure that you know everyone at, the, at Wasp will wish him well. We must move on. God and goddess of the week. Jonesy, is there any contenders? Is there one outright winner for you? Yes, there is one for me. And probably not the most glamorous player ever. But um, I watched most of the rugby on the weekend. And one man who's not first choice anymore was superb for his club. He was the man of the match. As he's been superb ever since they got into the top division. Gareth Steenson, they tend not to pick him now when Joe Simmons is fit. But that that guy kicked him to victory in the first game they ever played in the Premiership against Gloucester. I was there. He's kept them going ever since. The, what he does for team spirit is amazing because he's got his own bar all the lads go to have a drink at. And even in the teeth of the Gloucester whirlwind on and off the field, I thought he was superb and justly made man of the match. My, my hero and god of the week is Gareth Steenson. Very good. Very good. 
Owen? Has anyone um, in this section of the, of, of the podcast ever nominated themselves? So, sounds a bit uh, a, a bit um, self-orientated, but, but seriously, if you'd seen me on the off-piste, on the Alps, on Thursday afternoon, you'd have gone, that is the God of the Week. Sorry, uh, sorry to go on about it, but it was outstanding. Uh, I didn't see a lot of rugby, but I did see my, my, my lovely little S-shape down the off-piste. Absolute joy. There's only one God of the Week, and that is me on skis. <laughs> People say I'm arrogant. Wow. wow. <laughs> it was a case of mistaken identity, Slotty. We did see someone skiing beautifully in the Alps, but it certainly wasn't you. That's right. for sure. My God of the Week has to be Di Young. It's been a very difficult week for him. It's been a very difficult week for Wasps. But that man, uh, as I said to you, has done an amazing shift at the rugby club. Uh, that I played for for 20 years. He saved us from relegation. You know, he was buying strapping and tape for the players and, and he's wonderfully lifted the club and made them a force to be reckoned with in the West Midlands. So he won't feel like it today or for, next, for the next few days, but my God of the week is David Young. Very good. There's Very good. two out of three really strong contenders there. Yeah, <clears throat> what? Di, Di Young was worth a contender, wasn't he? <laughs> my thanks to Owen Slot and to Stephen Jones the next episode of our new series How to Win a Grand Slam will be out on Thursday morning Owen is in conversation with former Wales prop Adam Jones The Ruck is back next Monday make sure you never miss an episode subscribe now via Acast iTunes or your preferred podcast provider <laughs>